You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. This episode of the Sport Horse Podcast is brought to you by Hilltop Bio. Hilltop Bio is committed to developing innovative therapies and improving the lives of horses. Based on the latest scientific advancements, they've created cutting-edge regenerative therapies that are custom-engineered and optimized for specific indications. They're also recommended by top veterinarians like the U.S. show jumping team vet Heather Sherman. They're produced under the strictest manufacturing standards and are show safe to use. If you're familiar with stem cells, PRP, and IRAP for your horse, Hilltop Bio is producing the next generation of regenerative therapies to get your horse on the fast track to healing. Visit HilltopBio.com for more information. Hello, and welcome to the Sport Horse Podcast. I'm Nicole Lakin. And I'm Tim Borden. And we've got a really good uh, episode to share with you today for with a friend of the podcast. Yeah, first friend of the pod officially. Um, our good friend Danny Ingrata is joining us for this episode. He is the head FEI groom at Millerbrook Farm and has been to numerous championships, um, uh, show jumping groom, just to clarify for anybody who uh, isn't familiar with Millerbrook, uh, home of Olympian Ian Miller and uh, Olympic and World Championship veteran Amy Miller. Um, and I think it's a really great conversation for anybody who wants to get a good understanding of the perspective of an FEI groom and, um, you know, sort of what that entails, as, as well as, you know, Danny has some really good advice for people who like want to grow and improve and get better. And it's it's not an easy job. It's a lot of hours and, you know, paying really close attention to a lot of things and, um, you know, trying to catch all the small details that add up to, you know, keeping your horses happy and healthy. And so uh, Danny's got a really, a, a lot of really great insight into that as he's been doing it for so many years at such a high level. So Danny Ingrata is from Markham, Ontario, which is uh, just outside of Toronto. And he's the head FEI groom at Millerbrook Farm. Uh, as Nicole mentioned, Millerbrook is the home base of Ian Miller and Amy Miller. And before joining them, he studied animal biology at the University of Guelph. And his duties today include overseeing the logistical aspects of traveling to competition, the day-to-day -day management of Amy's FEI horses, the use of various tools and modalities to aid in recovery post-exercise, and educating the next generation of grooms. Danny has traveled all over the world with Team Miller and groomed at some of the most prestigious shows worldwide. Hey, Danny, and welcome to the Sport Horse Podcast. Hi, guys. How's it going? Well, it's going well. It's going well. It's, uh, I know you're up in Perth right now. It's pretty toasty down in Toronto. I think it's probably pretty warm where you are, Nicole, right? Yeah, New York's pretty toasty as well. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's make this conversation a little bit cooler. And <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good effort by me, I think. Yeah. Um, well yeah. So, uh, so Danny, uh, Nicole and I, uh, we know you quite well, but can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up at Millerbrook? Because I think our uh, listeners would love to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. So actually, one of my uh, really good friends uh, who I was at university with, um, she graduated uh, two years ahead of me and happened to get a job at Millerbrook Farm. And she was like, we stayed in touch and everything. And I was finishing school in December and I was, I was done with school. I did a couple uh, extra laps there, which was awesome because I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, and I loved the school atmosphere. 
So uh, I was finishing in December and I was like, ah, I don't know what I'm going to do. She called and she's like, want to come to Florida? Absolutely. So last minute decision, she, she called me end of November. So this was after the Royal and I love the Royal as most people know. And so she was like, um, let's go to Florida. And I was like, okay, awesome. Kelly solo uh, Miller, the manager at the time called me about two hours later and said, head up to Millerbrook in Perth to have an interview. Came up here and uh, met with Patty and Ian and Amy and did a trial for about two days during my exam period. Went back, finished my exams, and uh, I was hired and started January 2nd. So it was pretty, pretty awesome. And uh, can you speak a little bit about your background, but I guess before Millerbrook as well? Like, you... Did you have a dairy background or I know you're for sure like a bit of a farm kid, right? Like what was your background? So I went to as the University of Guelph and I was uh, animal biology, which is more the College of Biological Sciences versus the OAC. So agricultural college. Um, I grew up in Markham and my dad's family had cash crops. Um, but they, we weren't really involved because we were in the Toronto area and my aunt on my mom's side had horses and I just loved horses and spent as much time as I could with them. And from there, that's kind of how I got into riding and was taking riding lessons and stuff like that. And then went to the university of Guelph and because I got to play a little bit both sides there as the city person and the country person, I went back and forth a little bit. And then kind of my background for the, with the horses came more from the veterinary side because I spent a lot of time at the Ontario Veterinary College um, while I was in school and then going forward with riding and competing and stuff like that. So it's kind of how I came about. Awesome. So, um, I know you as somebody who is very well versed, uh, both, uh, within the, the realm of veterinary science. And, um, you know, I know that every vet you work with would love for you to come and work for them someday. Um, but you're also known as someone who stays really up to date on all the rule changes and understands the complexities of the sport. Um, you know, obviously you've been around top riders for quite some time and, knowing all of those pieces gives you a really, um, you know, unique perspective and ability to, you know, be so good at, at your job. So can you share with us where you get most of your information and sort of how, how you go about assessing that information also to make sure that, um, you know, you're getting the best and then the right and the correct information. So every year the new rules come out and it's a very long document of you have to read the new FBI rules, the new USCF rules for us because we spend a lot of time in the States and a couple months later, the new EC rules. Um, it is very difficult to stay on top of them. However, Google is amazing and you can also search things very easily. When you surround yourself with a good team, your team also helps you out a lot. Our, I will call the vets and ask them about all the withdrawal times. Most of them, I have made a little chart for myself because I can't remember everything. And if I always have to go back and refer to that on withdrawal times for certain 
um, medications as well as certain products. It's imperative that we stay up to date with all these things because as we all know, it's a very small margin of error that we operate with, especially in the FEI system. Um, the FEI rules app is pretty awesome too. Uh, they have done a really good job with that. And you can again search in there if you have any rules or any questions. It's, uh, it's very interesting for me going from when I take care of mostly the FEI horses and then going back to national rules or changing to national rules. We're just at a show, uh, this week and last week that was, were national rules and it's kind of, it's good to go back to the na- to the national aspect and be like, oh, wait, we can do this and this instead versus um, the general FEI rules. And it's cool also teaching some of the new grooms that we have and some of the older grooms about the different rules and the changes because Spruce Meadows, for example, uh, as a lot of people in Europe are used to, they run all their divisions and FEI competitions. Um, we in North America, the usually the lower heights of jumps are not run in an FEI atmosphere. So this year at Spruce Meadows, uh, it was, and it was really interesting um, having to kind of deal with that with those specific courses that are normally national rules competing and grooms and riders to then go to FEI. I'm curious, just your thoughts to on the way and not not necessarily specific to drugs and medications but the way that rules are developed for let's focus on you know international sport horses since that's sort of your area of expertise um and if you feel like the perspective of the groom who is spending the most time with the horse and observing them the most closely and seeing the way that they're able to recover from what's being asked of them. Um, do you feel that that's taken into account in the process of developing these rules? Um, and if so, I, I'm just, I would love to hear how. I mean, I hope so. In some level, uh, the FBI has been really good in the past probably couple of years of having uh, more of a groom's voice um, at the bottom at a certain level. And um, I'm hoping when the rules are developed, they are. We do have some input. It's definitely. The horse's welfare is number one concern for everyone, and it should be, especially when I see them many hours a day and when they are in pain and they give you the look in their eye to your eye and you're like oh god i don't know what to do to help you and that's really difficult for me to then go forward if the horses are in pain and it's like okay how can i help you if you could talk that would be really beneficial for me but let me see how i can help you and sometimes i worry that the rules are not following with industry if that makes any sense and we have to be very careful on the more rules that we make to have a fairer competition well what happens when we're not in competition is that for the betterment of the horse or not 
It's always the question, whether it's medication, whether it is tack or anything like that. I, I think that's a really interesting point. And, um, it, like it reminds me a little bit of like on the human side, because at, at the end of the day, like there is like for sure medical components to all of this, right? Like as you said, like you you spend a lot of time with the horses, like you maybe observe that they are in pain on a specific day, and then you have these overarching rules that were put in place, like for sure, like with the from a welfare component. But there's a little bit of like I, I'm sure the FEI and like any governing body would also say like oh we want to make sure it's a level playing field and like all these different different variables right and you it it doesn't it's really hard to to mesh that together it's almost like the admin side of a hospital versus the actual clinical side where like the admin side is always like putting in these like overarching rules and these protocols and it's like okay we want our physicians and our nursing staff to to follow this versus like in the heat of the moment a patient can present it's so variable and they may need to pick and choose from different components. So it is a really, really difficult thing to, I think, uh, to tease that out, right? To, to navigate that sometimes, I'm sure. And the best part of that is, I like your anal analogy there, is you have the intermediate step, which are the stewards and the show managers who are there to enforce these rules. You definitely come across certain people who have not been quote unquote, in the trenches, have not been part of the industry, have not been at, have not groomed horses. And you definitely come across these people who are the enforcers of the rules who have groomed horses and understand what we are going through on a daily basis. And they are very, the rules are the rules and everybody has to follow the rules. However, they are aware that they're, they're more practical than other ones who are this is the rule this is how it's going to be and again you have to have a level playing field which is what we all want we all love the reason i'm in it is because i love this sport and i love the industry that i'm a part of and yes i want it to be fair to everyone but i also want it to be fair to the horses that's the number that's my number one goal is to be fair to the animals that i take care of on a daily basis and the ones that i love so dearly that i've made a career out of it yeah, I think I think that's a really important point and sort of taking a step back and and returning to your role and and what you do with the horses. I mean communication is something that we talk about a lot on this podcast and I I think everybody in in every industry struggles with communication in some role but we have that added added challenge of communicating with a, a nonverbal partner um but as you said, you're observing them from the ground all day. You notice small changes day to day. You notice, you know, you said the, the look in, in their eyes. Um, in your mind, what sets the threshold for when you need to communicate those types of changes to the rider, the vet, the farrier, et cetera, et cetera, or versus like what's within the realm of normal um, for you, at least in terms of how you you decide, you know, when when it's time to have a conversation about it it's a very difficult question um <laughs> so it also goes down to there's a time and a place so we like to have between uh the team and i at millerbrook we all like to have open lines of communication because that's essential for the success of the operation and this is it's imperative 
So the interesting question then comes to my mind is when do you tell people certain things? So if we are doing a gymnastics exercise at home, it's quiet, everything is, everybody's all happy, it's all good. And there's an issue with the horse, I will probably say it, okay, we need to be aware of this, yada, 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 um, as long as everyone's on the same page. If we're going into a Nations Cup, and it is an issue of, it's a minor issue versus major issue, I probably won't say anything because the rider needs to focus on the task at hand. And for Nations Cups specifically, they are the most important event that we have. And we're going to go regardless. So there's not a whole lot that I could say that will stop us from competing. Again, if there's a catastrophic issue, absolutely, we will stop for the betterment of the horse. Um, but if, for example, in the morning, if I come in, it's like, oh, this horse's legs a little stocked up today. If that's kind of normal, I'll kind of just put that in the back of my mind and then see how it is at the end of the day or the next day or whenever. And that's the cool part about my job is I get to see the horses normally every day. And um, I can have a gauge on, I know the norms for each one of the horses that I take care of. Um, if we are going to then go into like complete details of, for example, as the week goes on with a horse that is competing at the high end and I'm, it's, crazy little things such as the shavings in the morning are in different the pattern of where they're walking or moving in their stall gets a little different and I was like okay that's weird I chalk that down in the back of my mind and then next time our vet is around when we all have sit down have a conversation it's like hey just FYI the horse is dragging its toes a lot towards the end of the week in its stall okay why is it doing that and then we kind of figure it out in that aspect would that piece of information help our rider go forward? Probably not. Will it help the vet in the long run? Absolutely. So just a matter of time, like when, what moment in time I choose to tell everyone and figure it all out. I think that's a really nice overview and it, it touches, it touches on some of the points that um, I think a lot of people probably miss. Like that was one of the things that when I showed up at Miller Brook and I, I think probably my first week there when I was in Florida back in 2016, uh, I, I think that like the Millers forced you to uh, like take sort of some new staff members and like you, you were kind of forced or you probably enjoyed doing it. I won't mm -hmm. say forced. That's, <laughs> that's a strong word. Uh, but you sort of like went through your like morning protocol. Like these are things you look for every morning with the horse and like, you know, at, at the Millers, like people or the staff members run their hands over their horses' bodies, like to look for, for any potential soreness. Like it's sort of like a massive, I won't say massive, but it's, it's a very detailed checklist of like all the things you can look for just to stay on top of stuff so you don't miss anything. And I thought that was just really insightful. And I hope that uh, people listening at home make some notes because there's a lot, as you say, that can be learned from those small changes in the horse that maybe today it isn't enough to hit the the warning, uh, the warning button, button. But, you know, if things continue to build and to mount, then it is something where it's 
for sure worth reaching out or at least discussing with the vet uh, on the same sort of uh i guess the same sort of topic as communication uh, i know that a lot of the jumping publications have started to engage grooms more and to have the grooms tell their stories about like how they got involved in the sport and and where they think the sport needs to go which i think is all really really good uh like what what would you recommend to a young aspiring uh, groom who's listening to this about like where they can go to gain some mentorship in the industry i think like a program like the millers is a little bit different because they do have you so any young groom joining the miller program uh they get access to you but in terms of someone who maybe is just moving up to the fei with their rider who's moving up as well and they haven't had access to that before can you speak a little bit about like the community within the the fei grooms yeah absolutely the <laughs> The cool thing that I tell a lot of people, especially being in the FEI 10 or FEI stabling, is you need to pay attention to what other people are doing. We are all at a very high level of the sport and everyone's program is different. But at the end of the day, everyone's goal is the same. So be observant, pay attention, ask questions like if you and be nice and kind about it. Don't be nosy by any means and don't just hover over top of people because everyone likes their privacy as well. But also pay attention to what physio the people are doing kind of when they're doing it. Um, ask questions about, hey, so I noticed you were doing this. And I'm just I'm just curious, because why are you doing that? Or figure it's really interesting to watch the practice areas too. So I'm for example, in Wellington, we have a our we have a farm that's kind of off show grounds, and then we have um, the FEI tent, which is on show grounds. So it's not I go back and forth a lot, but when I'm there watching and um, waiting for the horses to finish flatting or exercising, it's interesting to watch everyone else in the warm area to see what exercises they're doing. Um, it's interesting to see what vets, chiropractors, physiotherapists barriers come in and what changes people are making. And you just need to be observant about that. Um, within the FEI community, there's a lot of um, cool apps uh, that they have developed. And there's cool programs through, um, again, the FEI site that you can do different modules to learn um, more at the at a different level to help your knowledge. Um, but also, I, for me, and the thing that has helped me a lot are friends in the industry and speaking with other vets, speaking with your veterinary team, and again, being observant, and then asking the right questions at the right time, and going forward with your knowledge. You, I learn every time I go into another person's barn, walk up and down. Again, I'm not nosy by any means, but if you are having happening to walk up and down the aisle or your neighbors in the barn just pay attention to what thing people are doing and again I always ask questions like there's no don't be nosy but ask a question yeah absolutely i i mean i always tell people um that are looking to get into <laughs> into my little um niche of the industry that They'd be surprised how how much people are willing to help when you just ask nicely. Um, I mean, I do tons of um, just like informational interviews with people just that want to understand how I got to do what I'm doing and 
not generally no person's going to tell you this is the only way to do it, but you can definitely learn a lot just by, just by asking. Um, but uh, with that said, and, and talking about really observing and having the opportunity to do that so uniquely in the context of FEI stabling, what are some of the common pitfalls that you see within FEI horse management and, and, and that environment? And what do you think could be done better? I think as we are, for example, when the FEI horse app first came online, and everyone was having problems with it and trying to get a new system to go forward. Um, there were a lot of bugs that were worked out. And for example, and I'm just going to use Wellington as an example. And just because I'm there for 12 weeks out of the year, and it's pretty awesome. Uh, when you are doing your temperature checks coming into FBI, which you have to do in order to go into FBI stabling and a steward and a vet have to be there for when you are doing these temperature checks. When you're standing in a parking lot with over 100 horses that are screaming because they are coming to a new environment, you have stallions and mares, it's less than ideal. That is uh, asking for a disaster. So with the help of horse show management and with the stewards and the grooms and everybody involved, you find a system that works for that horse show to have your temperatures checked. So they shut down uh, one of the rings and you go into the ring, which is out on proper footing, not in, not in the parking lot. There's multiple lines and areas where you can, if you have an excitable horse, you can find a safe spot um, to get your temperature checked and then move forward into the FBI stabling. Same with uh, other venues like Spruce Meadows has a whole barn where you go into a stall and then they disinfect the stall after you're done in there and get your temperature checked so that, again, it's safety for horse and humans, which helps. Um, the FEI is doing a really good job at if there are suggestions and problems, uh, then they try and fix them. They are trying to do the best that they can. And again, to have a level playing field for everyone. Um, a new thing is turning the lights off in the stabling area. That is a huge thing in my book because I don't know about everyone else, but I really like my sleep and I find it's kind of difficult sometimes to sleep with the lights are on. Um, so I think that has helped a lot. Having set barn hours, um, it's very difficult for competitions that are class starts at eight or nine o'clock at night. And then there are certain, unfortunately, there are always ways to get around certain rules. And that's the unfortunate part about rules. So if you start the first round of competition at say eight o'clock at night, you can start the second round um at 12 o'clock but the competition actually started at eight o'clock which is within fbi rules so that's kind of interesting it really sucks for the horses and the grooms that horses are on a schedule so they're still fed at seven o'clock or eight o'clock in the morning and they're jumping at midnight that's a little crazy in my mind so we have to get as a community we have to get a little bit better at that but i understand on horse show management aspect and everybody else's aspect on why that happened heat for example um for the games uh that tokyo games they everything was at night which is great and awesome but we just need to then figure our horse schedule out a little bit so roundabout way but those are kind of things that we we have to get we're good i think we can be better i think 
I'm not entirely sure how, and this is why it's always good to surround yourself with a bunch of people about who know how to do this and who can think outside the box. But um, I think we can do better at that. Oh, for sure. Really good points. And um, I, I think it speaks a little bit as well. It's for sure like an, an older industry, an older sport. And it's always a little bit, it, it takes a while to change anything, I guess. Like it's, there's so much momentum behind it. It's like a trying to, to steer a big ship. And like you contrast that to other sports, like the NFL or MLB or NBA, like every year they do introduce new rules. And like at the time everyone complains. And like sometimes those organizations do go back on the rules as well. And they acknowledge like, oh, that was actually not a really bad idea to change it in that way. But I, I do think there, as you say, are opportunities to at least experiment or even just experiment in a subset, like maybe like two star shows, you know, work in this way or maybe you know we'll try this for the first six months and we'll get feedback and see if this is the way forward um so transitioning uh in sport there's always this um uh, a little bit of a battle between the art and science of managing athletes and you you hear this uh come up quite a bit especially on the human side you know is is coaching more of an art or is it more of a science uh we know you have a very analytical mind, uh, but you also have strengths and you've spoken a little bit about that with being innately able to sense when, you know, issues are maybe coming and, you, and sort of like you, you have a bit of that gut feeling. How do you balance the science and the art uh, in our sport? That is an excellent question. They are, they are related and they, you cannot look at our sport any other way. There is definitely an art form to it and there's a science form to it. The best the thing that I enjoy is trying to quantify the art side of it. So how why do I do why do I do this this way? And how can I put it in a numbers form? For example, lameness scale, or if my horse's legs are a little puffy today. Well, what's the number so that a little pup my little puppy is different than someone else's little puppy? Than someone else's little puppy. So let's do a number scale and figure that out. Um, it is it, horsemanship. It's really hard to put uh, to it's horsemanship through and through. There's an art and a science form to it. So if you are a good horse person, um, I cannot explain to you why certain people can handle a horse certain ways. And in my opinion, that's just a natural ability. And sometimes you cannot teach that. You have people who I am still shocked that I was like, whoa, you have a way with these animals. And I don't know how you do this, but you do this. And then I, uh, I come across other people who I'm like, I can teach you absolutely everything. But at the end of the day, you do not have that innate ability to do what we do at the high at, to the best that we possibly can do you're going to be great but you're not going to be amazing which is fine great is awesome um and then you have other people who you just they can handle a horse but they don't know anything else about the industry which is also not what you want either um so to try and uh figure out again how how to basically have more science or more art i don't know what the answer is to that 
you have to do you have to follow your your gut a little bit and also talk to the people who are around you and then figure out what we are all going to do about it i think i generally can figure out what a horse needs to eat just by kind of looking at the horse and figuring out its personality and then what it needs by its body condition score but also okay we can do a fecal analysis we can also do a hay analysis we can do all these other things to confirm our suspicions or we just do it so that's kind of where we kind of go back and forth a little bit yeah i mean this is a a conversation i know we've had offline a number of times and with a lot of different people as well and i think um you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of seeing that there's there's things that you're doing somewhat instinctually or based on experience. And so then you try to find a way to ask the question in a way that makes it quantifiable so that you can then put some some form of science behind it and also also make it teachable. Um, because you you can't it's hard to teach instinct it's hard to teach experience um do you think though like has that instinct in you do you feel like it's grown as you've become more experienced did was it always there um also i i i know i'm asking you like three questions at one time but you know you've always been somebody who has that instinct but you also do the work of of looking outside of your everyday and trying to learn more about things that you you don't know 100 percent. so um yeah i think i just asked you four questions at one time, but um take your pick uh for sure i have definitely learned as i've been in this industry for sure and my skill set has as I do it on a daily basis. And it definitely has changed from when I first came to part of the industry. I still remember my first day at Millerbrook Farm in lovely Florida, um, being taught how to muck a stall and being taught how to clean tack. I can tell you, I muck the stall a little bit differently, but pretty much the same. Definitely clean tack a little differently. Um, but it's, as you grow, it's natural to change things. And that's what you should be doing. And experience is a huge thing. I I don't want to be one of those people that says, Oh, yeah, these, these new people or the young people that have not been part of the industry. Don't know. Well, unfortunately, there's, I worked for one of the people who has been in the industry the longest. And believe me, things that we were doing 13 years ago, when I started has definitely changed it's at the it's changed compared to 13 years ago to now but it's all still the relatively the same program it's just evolved and we do things a little differently that's also because the horses have changed as well right so as we change as the industry changes the horses change too right you instead of having these big old clugger animals that could barely fit in the barn and just basically step over these jumps. Now you have these compact little things that I can brush from one side, which is awesome. It's a skill set that I very much enjoy. <laughs> and but they jump the moon and you're like, whoa, and they're fast, quick and careful. And you're like, okay, cool. But those horses 
are much more delicate than these big clonking horses that can just off you go, have fun. So it changes for sure how you look at the animals and look at the industry. Um, what were some of your other questions? Sorry. <laughs> no, I think I you like, did <laughs> it was a really unfair task. I apologize. And just for reference for anybody uh, listening, how tall are you, Danny? I'm six four on a good day. Okay, so the he does have some small horses, but he's also very tall. So the the brushing a horse from one side just to give everybody a little bit more perspective on that. This is an audio medium, so I just <laughs> give people the visual. Um, no, I mean I think you did a nice job of answering uh my pile of questions that i threw at you um yeah i just uh one last question for me i it just in terms of what your favorite resources are um for people that want to continue their education while they're building that depth of experience and and learning in the barn and asking questions where else would you recommend people go um so Sport Horse Podcast is awesome. <laughs> uh, I remember your first episodes that you guys did. And I was like, whoa, this is great. Uh, you have to look outside the box a little bit. There, uh, Sport Horse Podcast is awesome. There's a couple other podcasts that are great. Um, you can look at any other research groups that um, people have started. I've also gone back to the basics and there was like a book from 1970, I think it was 1970. I think there was actually an earlier one too that uh, I got from Ian. He's like, you should read this. And I was like, well, it's, it's tattered. It looks it's yellow. It doesn't smell very nice. And I was like, okay, well, I'll read this. Well, you know what? It's the same principles that we're doing now. And it's really cool. So horses have been around for a long time. And again, as much as they're changing, they're still a quadruped. And they're like, they're still the same basic principle. So I also like I'm a little bit of a nerd. I like to read textbooks too. So if you have, I find things that I'm passionate about, I will research too. So when I first started, I could not read an ultrasound machine for the life of me. I can now read an ultrasound machine very well because we ultrasound a lot of things um, as we do at the high level and i so i have a lovely ultrasound textbook of all quote-unquote common injuries that you would see on the ultrasound and healing processes and how to do that same with um regenerative therapies which i think is super cool and so uh i was able to link up with some people and be part of a summit on that and just listen in and hear about all the new regenerative medicine that is hopefully coming down the pipeline to us i hope within the next couple of years but it was really interesting of where the sport and regenerative medicine is going and then sure enough we had a horse that had a little bit of an accident on the road and we happened to be using part of some of the um the medication that was part of the regenerative summit and i was like oh this is really cool i learned about this from the scientific aspect which was way over my head but i could understand a little bit about it and it was really cool connecting the dots and be like okay this is what it is in the lab in the at the university level and it's like oh here it is i'm putting it on the horse and and from day one when i was like oh panicking i need a bet here immediately to now 
there's a scar and that's about it. And you wouldn't look twice at it. I'm like, whoa, that's really cool. And you have the series of photos that you can see. And it was a long process. The whole team was involved. And it was really cool to see how that, again, comes down the pipeline. Now, that was, I was dealing with that every day. So I also Googled the company and researched the company. And because, again, that was how I got involved in those things. Awesome. So we've taken up a, a decent chunk of your evening here, Danny. We really appreciate it. And uh, we're just going to ask one final question. It's a question we ask everyone. And if you could speak directly to a horse and the horse could understand you, what would you want them to know? I would want them to know that I am here to help them as much as possible. Please tell me how to help you. Uh, they can talk not verbally and it's really, I can usually understand them, but it would be a lot easier if they could talk and tell me exactly what's happening and what's wrong. I don't like this. Why I don't like this. I hurt here and then I can kind of help them, but that would be my thing. And that we're here, we're a team. We all try and help each other out and hopefully they really like the job that they're doing. Awesome. Well, that's a great place to leave it. Thank you so much for joining us today, Danny. Thank you, guys. And you guys have a lovely evening. It was great to be part of this. A big thank you to Danny for joining us on the podcast. Um, you know, he works incredibly hard. He easily could have just been uh, going and grabbing a nap or going to sleep, but he uh, took the time out of his day to spend some time with us. So uh, really, really appreciative. And uh, I think the one thing that always interests me when I talk to Danny is like, like make no mistake that like he is very legit really knows the stuff but at the same time he's very humble and like that's one of the things that came through just as we had, had that discussion like the way he talks like he's very approachable he, he's very down to earth but there's so much knowledge that he has and um yeah if you ever have the opportunity to pick danny's brain like i would guarantee you will learn a lot because he's put a lot of time and effort into his craft he he talks to everyone he has learned so much and uh like it's a little bit of a vault sometimes like he, i think he can you know he's not the type of person to just walk around like telling you how you should do your job but like, that's for sure not danny but yeah if you have the opportunity to sit down with him uh hear what he has to say like it, it is just incredible the the knowledge that is in there yeah absolutely and i would to build on that and echo that also say that um you know danny's humbleness and approachability are just one of the things that makes him such a good horseman. Um, and uh, he's a, a wealth of knowledge for sure. Not much, not much goes by that Danny doesn't uh, pick up on notice, learn from grow from. So definitely a great resource. Um, and we're lucky to have him as a guest on our podcast today. So as always, you can find the links to today's guest and the show notes at www.sporthorsepodcast.com. Please follow us on your favorite podcast app, wherever you're listening. Also, uh, you can follow our social media at uh, Instagram and Facebook at Sport Horse Series. You can also have all 20 plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with our free app for iPhone and Android. Just go to the App Store and search Horse Radio Network. Thank you to Hilltop Bio again for sponsoring this episode. And here's to keeping your sport horse happy and healthy. Mm-hmm.